Good morning, church. Welcome. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Scott Bainville. I am one of the elders of this church here. Um, and occasionally I get to preach, um, primarily because it's unhealthy for a senior pastor to preach 52 weeks out of the year. He needs to get a little break. Ken just came off of a great series. Um, and in preparation for the next one, he's going to get a couple weeks off. Um, and this is a healthy thing. Um, we're in a new season. Days are getting a little shorter, a little colder in the morning. And I know all you moms are waiting for the deliverance of a beautiful yellow angel that's about to come down the street and free you from bondage, right? Um, another big change taking place in my own family. Um, for those of you who don't know my testimony, um, I was not raised in a church. In fact, I was about as far away from God as you can imagine. Um, I had a lot, of, a lot of baggage in my life, a lot of junk. Um, God came in and changed that miraculously um, through his son. Also, my wife, um, she grew up in a church. I wanted her to come speak. You can see she's not even in the room today. Um, in fact, first service, I got in trouble for just pointing in her direction. Everybody turned and looked at her. Um, she grew up in a church. Um, she never knew Jesus, um, but they did everything right. It wasn't until God came into my life, her hard army, infantry, jumping out of helicopter husband, and softened his heart that she got to see the true power of Jesus. Um, my son uh, was following the same path that I had demonstrated. Um, he was a long way from God. Um, God has come in and changed his life. And in fact, out in Seattle, him and his wife um, are active members in their church. They also serve on a coffee ministry. So if you can imagine being in Seattle, being on a coffee ministry, um, not the ministry I would want to be on in Seattle. Um, they went through a formal training, barista stuff, and this foamy thing that they... Okay, I don't get it. Um, God started something then 15 years ago. It's coming to fruition now. Um, see, Jay and I had this plan. Uh, once the sun was gone, um, we would take some time off. We were going to buy a boat, um, and we were going to buy a big boat. Um, in fact, we did. A 41-foot, twin six-cylinder diesel engine, two bedrooms, two bathrooms. And we were going to cruise what's called the Great Loop. And for those of you who don't know what the Great Loop is, the Great Loop starts in Lake Superior. It goes through Lake Michigan, down the Mississippi River, through the Gulf of Mexico, around the panhandle of Florida, through the intercoastal waterway, back up the eastern seaboard, into the St. Lawrence Seaway, back into Lake, Hira, or Lake Ontario, Lake uh, Erie, up through Huron and back into Lake Superior. Um, this was our plan. So a few years ago, we bought a boat, started getting it ready, started prepping for what we, we thought was going to be our next plan, um, not realizing that God had a different plan for us, as he usually does. Um, so just as we were about ready to get these plans finalized, God said, sell the boat. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Really? Sell the boat. Sell the boat, sell the house, sell everything you, do, you have, and I want you to move out to Seattle. Why don't you go back to school? <laughs> really? God, that would take a whole lot of faith. You're talking about quitting jobs that we've worked at. You're talking about selling a house that's paid for. You're talking about getting rid of everything. Um, so through a lot of prayer, 
Um, and God coming in and putting everything in place that needed to be in place. Um, out of the blue, a gentleman comes up and gives us a down payment on our boat. It was gone. Two months later, we sold our house. Uh, we have downsized everything we own will fit now into a 15-foot U-Haul truck. So if you can fathom that for a minute, take 20 years of your life and reduce it down to a 15-foot U-Haul. Um, and then, then God asks you to go to Seattle where there isn't a whole lot of conservative Christian values out there. You know what I mean? Um, but I've always been the guy who loved to go to the visitor's section and root for the home team. Um, God is kind of putting me out there to do that. Um, he also put me in an apartment in downtown Grand Rapids. Now, for the last 20 years, I've lived at the end of a dead-end dirt road. You can see where this is going, right? Um, this town never sleeps. It is up 24-7. And about, I would say, 78% of the vehicles need exhaust put on them. So if you want to start a business, an exhaust shop is the way to go because every vehicle in this town. And for some reason, they, they have to race between... I, I'm, I'm right down at Wayne's Automotive, second-story apartment. They have to race from stoplight to stoplight for some reason. Um, there was a time in my life I liked that noise. Now I do not wish good on those people. Um... The 29th of this month, we will drive away from Grand Rapids. Um, we will leave this place um, and start a new chapter of our lives. Uh, we will be homeless and we will be jobless. And I don't have a problem with this. God has got me. I'm, we're leaning on his promises. Um, we're not being foolish about this. Um, we're going to live with my son for a while. And at the beginning, my son was like, yay, come live with us. Yay, come on. And as this time gets closer, he says, Dad, we'd just like to define um, what you mean by live with us. <laughs> I said, son, mom and dad want their privacy just as much as you and your bride. Um, so I asked the elders if I could preach one more time before, before we leave. And they said, yep. Uh, they should have asked what the message was first, but they didn't. So <laughs> I get to choose my own. Um, I wanted this super sermon for you guys. I wanted to just, just knock your socks off. You would never forget Scott Bainville. That was the best sermon I've ever heard. But God humbled me, and he says, you know what? I've been doing something in your life in front of the church for 15 years. See, I'm already, I've already used your life as a testimony to my greatness and my goodness. I said, oh, you're right, Father. You have. Um, so this isn't about a super sermon for Scott. If I, can't, if I haven't influenced and showed you uh, a life changed by that cross, um, I, I can't do it in one sermon. Um, so while preparing for this, um, God gave me, sent me to the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians is the book of grace. And I've used Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, um, 8 and 9 for a long time. Um, it's how we prove that it's not works that saves us, um, it's God. It's for we're saved by by faith, right? Through God, um, nothing that I do can save me. God says, "I want you to go to the next verse." And the next verse is for, is, is verse ten. So here's a. Let me read this to you. It's up on the board, and I apologize. I should have done better contrast. It looks fine from right here, but um, Ephesians two ten says, "For we are God's masterpiece." He has created us anew in Jesus Christ so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Uh, the King James says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath beforehand ordained, and that we should walk in them. The Amplified puts it this way, For we are his workmanship, his own master work, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, so that we would walk in them, living a good life which he pre-arranged and it's already made for us. I'm getting ready for this, and I find an article about a traveler in the Pacific Northwest. I said, funny how you put me onto an article from the Pacific Northwest when it's where you're about to move me. And a traveler was curious how they pick lumber for great masterpieces of wood, um, as opposed to picking lumber for making studs and chipboard OSB, right? So as he's up there at the logging plant, he watches this gentleman stand there with a hook, and logs are coming down the chute, and he'd shoot one to the side, and then these logs, 15, 20, go by, and he'd grab another one. There was no rhyme or reason to how he picked these logs in his eyes. He, to him, they all looked the same. So he asked the logger, he said, how do you, what do you, they all look, he said, see, these logs here, they were raised in the valley, and they were protected their whole life. There was no wind, no storms, um, they got plenty of water. Thus, what happens is that the, the, they grow really wide rings, and they're not good for anything. They're, they're good for making studs out of, they're good for making chipboard out of, but they're really not good for a masterpiece. But these logs, the one I, I, I pull out, they were high on top of that, that mountain. And from a very young age, storms and weather and wind have hardened them and caused those growth rings to grow really tight. And th- in the end, it produces a really fine, gorgeous piece of wood. Um, see, those stuff that's all protected and raised up down there where nothing happens and everything is nice and perfect, not really good for a lot, but the ones on the top of the hill make beautiful. So I wonder if the same could be said for us Christians. See, it's through that trying and, and, and testing that we get to be prepared for great works, get to be a great masterpiece. Um, I bet if you were to ask Moses um, about his trials and those things that prepared him to be one of God's great masterpieces, he'd have a lot to tell you. If you were to ask Joseph, I bet he'd refer back to those times of, uh, as a slave and imprisonment and false accusation. How about Peter? You know, I could really relate with Peter. I mean, he, Peter's my guy, you know. He's standing there right with Jesus and lops an ear off a guy. I mean, really, Peter? You're standing with Christ. You know, Peter would probably go back to about his denials and all those lessons he learned, see those trials that he went through. Maybe God's got you facing some trials in your life, but you know what they're doing? They're making you better. They're perfecting you. You are going to be God's masterpiece, right? Um, first two chapters of, of Ephesians is all about grace, um, the more and more I learn about grace, the more and more I realize I don't know and don't understand grace. Um, but I understand it's a great work. And a few reminders out of that first two chapters is grace has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Grace has given us all spiritual blessings through Jesus. Grace has determined that we will be like Jesus and with Jesus one day. Grace has made us accepted by Jesus. Grace has proved that the blood of Christ has washed away our sins. Grace reached in, reached out to us when we were dead in our sins and headed to hell. Grace loved us. 
Grace gave us life. Grace has secured our future. Grace has secured our salvation. Everything we possess as believers is ours through the grace of God. We've earned nothing we've received. We deserve nothing we've received. We purchased nothing we've received. Everything we have in Jesus Christ has been given to us by the free grace of the Almighty God. God has given us the gifts of his grace without asking for a single thing in return. He doesn't expect us to repay him for grace. While God doesn't expect repayment for grace, I think he does expect a return on his investment. See, the work of grace results in some radical changes in our lives. These changes allow us to live for God. Um, Our living for him, according to his will, brings glory to his name. I think that's all he wants from us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us. When grace comes to a lost, dead sinner, that sinner is born again as a new creature in Jesus. The old appetites and ways of living are laid aside for a brand new life. What God works in us by his grace will work out his, his way in our lives. Not only are we saved by his grace, we are changed by that same grace. As grace of God works itself in our lives, it manifests itself through us in our works. Now, 8 and 9 makes it very clear that works have no part in our salvation. I'll make this very clear, church. We are not saved by what we do or what we produce. We are saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? However, the proof of God's grace has worked in a life to save us, um, I believe, is in some of the works that we do, um, some of the fruit that we bear. John Calvin said, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. In other words, works don't save us, but we're saved to work. James 2.18 says it this way, But some of you will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. James is reminding us that while faith brings us to God's salvation, our works prove the reality of our profession of faith. Ephesians 2 is about the work of grace. 2.10 is about the, the work of grace in our lives. The verse tells us that the Lord does what the Lord does in us and how he saves us and how he works through us to accomplish his will in this world. I believe Ephesians 2.10 is a challenge to all God's people to be examples of grace he saved us to be. So we're going to dig into this, this scripture a little bit. I'm going to talk about workmanship, works, and our walk. So a little word about workmanship. Uh, Paul begins this verse by saying, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. The word workmanship means that which is made, a work of art. It comes from a word uh, that gives us the, the word poem. It refers to a piece of literary workmanship. It came to refer to the author's magnum opus. So for those of you that know me, you know I had to go look that word up because that's one not real frequent in my vocabulary. Magnum opus. Or in a writer's greatest Literary achievement. In other words, it refers to his masterpiece. Paul is saying that the redeemed saints of God are his masterpiece. The saints are his greatest achievement. The saints are the greatest work of a master potter. The saints are the greatest letter ever written by the hand of the master author. The redeemed saints are a result of God's love. We are saved because he took a shapeless, dead piece of clay of our lives 
And with his loving, powerful hands, he has molded it into something for his glory. His loving care and infinite skill, God shaped us by his grace, and he wrote his love into our lives. When you really stop to think about the raw materials God has to work with, when he saves a sinner and changes his life, it really becomes more incredible. I look at what in my own life, what God had to work with, man, he didn't have much. But look what he's done. Glory to him. Nothing that I did. If you are saved, your, lo- if your life is God's love letter to a lost world. He has written his love in you and on you. And through you, he tells you in, that he tells this world that he loves sinners. And that his son died to redeem the lost. And that there is life-changing power in the grace of God. The gospel is real. And that Jesus Christ makes a difference in every life. He redeems through the power of his blood. You are God's billboard, which he writes his love for the lost on. Realize that that's who you are, Christian. See, no artist paints a painting to hide in a closet. No sculpture fashions a sculpture just to put it away and be unseen. No writer pens literary work to keep it from the eyes of others. Every artist wants his paintings to be seen. Every sculpture wants to see his work viewed by others. Every writer wants his words to be read by others. God did not save us to sequester us in the walls of a church. God wants us on display in the world. Michelangelo was once asked what he was doing as he chipped away at a, at, at a, at a shapeless rock. He says, his reply was, I'm liberating an angel from stone. That's what God is doing with us. We are in the hands of the great maker, the ultimate sculptor who created the universe out of nothing. That word created means to form or shape. It refers to making something out of nothing. It refers to a new thing. And that's what a child of God is. One moment, he's dead in his sins and trespasses. The next moment, he's alive in Jesus. The believer instantly becomes a child of God and is forever changed by the power of God. When a sinner is saved, it's one of the greatest miracles of all. And it's the greatest dem- demonstration of God's creative power. When God saves a sinner, a new person's formed. Corinthians 5, 17. Something that has never been before comes into the existence in an instant. The redeemed are God's trophies of his saving grace. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament, his handiwork, Psalm 19, 1. The vast expanse of the heavens above the sun, the moon, the stars, all stand as diligent testimonies to the power of God in creation. When you see the heavenly bodies above you, they declare there is a God. Bow down to him, honor him, worship him, make a relationship with him, spend time with him. As surely the stars and the planets and the moon declare the existence and the power of God, nothing declares his glory more than his existence in in a life that has been redeemed by grace. Every child of God who walks and talks and acts and thinks and lives differently because of grace is a bold and powerful statement to the witness of the power of a great God. And to discredit the God of salvation and his power to change life, the first thing you've got to do is rid the world of those he's changed. Empty the church pews and the golden streets and heavens. You must silence every testimony of grace. You must silence a shout from a redeemed child of God to rid the world of God. First, you have to rid the world of those who have been transformed, and that ain't happening, church. All around this room are breathing testimonies of the life-changing power of God. 
all around this room are examples of his workmanship. All around this room sits tangible evidence that God makes a new thing when he saves his soul. God is a master craftsman. He took something worthless and transformed it into something of infinite value. That's enough to make a Baptist show. In other words, in Christ Jesus reminds us we're the ground upon which salvation rests. When God made a new creature out of a dead sinner, he does it in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation for the whole world. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Amen. The only way for you to be saved is to get in Christ Jesus. How? By believing the gospel of faith. You must be born again, John 3, 7 says. And the only way for that to happen is to come to faith by Jesus, trust in him and him alone for your soul's salvation. See, the word for carries us back to the preceding verses of 8 and 9 where Paul tells us God's salvation is not a result of works. In other words, he didn't, we didn't save ourselves. We didn't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We didn't turn over a new leaf. We didn't decide one day to just change our lives, try harder, work more. It didn't work for me. Salvation occurred when God Almighty came to us in grace, drew us to Jesus, gave us the faith to believe in him. We are new creatures, not make ourselves. We are all works of his hands, and we owe him all the glory. There's no room for us to brag about who we are or what we have in him. We are what we are by the grace of God. A little word about works. Um, Funny, on Labor Day, God has me preach a little bit on working. Paul tells us that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Um, works don't save us, but works are a sure product of salvation. Um, as surely as you're truly saved, good works will mark your life. The word good means that which excels is useful of good nature. The word works also refers to employment, um, that which, with which one is occupied. In other words, it refers to how you spend your time. Um, Works and fruit. I, mean, I think we can use these words synonymously in here. Um, the child of God will evidence in his life that is occupied with deeds that will well reflect on the Lord Jesus. The good works of our new life in Jesus Christ stand in contrast to the old works. The new life God places within us, he saves us, always manifests itself in good fruit. When we were truly in Jesus Christ, we will walk different. The new life he creates within us when we're saved will always work out through us. Uh, Whatever is on the inside of a man will always work itself to the outside. God is in us. It's got to come out, church. When God saves a soul, he changes a life. He moves into that life. He takes up residence. He, whenever God dwells in any life, he will make his presence known. If he is in your heart, he will let his presence be known by the way you live your life. It says in Matthew 7, 16 to 20, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit. 
you will be recognized. And that's why Jesus said what he said in Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of the Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name? Have we not cast out devils? And done, um, and in done in thy name wonderful deeds? And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, worker of iniquity. There are many who are claimed to have been saved. They prayed a prayer in an altar. They made a profession. They even joined a church. They laid down a few sins. They did what they thought was necessary. But they missed the most important thing of all. They missed Jesus. Because they missed him, their lives never changed. They never produced those good works, I believe Paul is talking about here, or fruit that are evidence of genuine salvation. Um, God's desire is that every one of his redeemed saints bears fruit to his glory, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those folks are like men who built... Is like a man who built his house on sand. When the flood came, the house was destroyed. So be it. So it would be with the wrath of God when it falls on those who do not know Jesus Christ. If that life has never been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, saved by the grace of God, that person will not stand in the judgment, but they'll be swept away to the fires of eternal damnation. The message is simple: repent or perish. And if you truly repent and believe on Jesus, good works will be a mark of your life. Good fruit. Not works of the flesh, but the works of a new man who is walking in faith. A little bit about our walk. Referring to those good works, Paul says, God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This statement makes a couple of truths really clear. First, the statement is, makes it clear is God expects his people to walk in good works. The word walk means to make one's way, to regulate one's wife, to make full use of opportunities. Full use of opportunity. Steve had his little opportunity book he was showing everybody today. There's opportunities right there. The word is in a tense that suggests a once-for-all decision to walk in good works. In other words, it isn't that a person turns it on and off. You don't walk for God for six months and then for yourself for ten years. It refers to a fixed way of life that is committed to living the way God intends for his people to live. And how does God intend for his people to walk? In love. In obedience. In faithfulness. In holiness. Remember, the sanctification is a process. God saves you from a life of sin, and he begins a process of transforming your life. He remakes you into the image of his Son. We are not perfect the instant we get saved, but we're changed. And that change should manifest itself to an ever-increasing holiness before God and before the world. A little boy was acting up in Sunday school class, just being a terror, right? The teacher says, why do you act like that? Don't you know who made you? And he says, I sure do. He ain't finished yet. (laughs) He's not finished with me yet, church. Um, I'm still a misbehavior in class sometimes. But he ain't done yet. We're all a work in process. Um, but I have an on good authority 
that God will finish the work that he started in our lives. Philippians 1.6. I hold on to this one right here, church. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will, be, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Huh? He ain't giving up on you. You may give up on you, but he ain't. You may try to walk away, but I'm telling you, he's pulling you back in. The phrase hath before ordained that we should walk in them reminds us that we're not saved by accident. It was in God's plan to save you by his grace so that we may live for him. Uh, Before we ever came to Jesus by faith, God had already planned this path. Two examples in the Bible would be Jeremiah uh, in in 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I anointed you as a prophet before the nations. Um, I, I won't read it all, but, but Luke 1, 13 to 7, talks about John the Baptist. Before these men were born, God had already determined the path that their life was going to take. Even Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus into the hands of his enemies, was walking the path that had been selected for him. Jesus says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. The same is true for us. The Lord has planned our path through the world. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. We may make our plans. I sure did. I never expected to sell everything I own and move halfway across the country without a job or a house. We make our plans and we set ourselves to do the things we want. But in the end, the Lord's will for our lives will be the final outcome. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And I am so happy that he is directing my steps. And he is going before me. It's God's will that his people clothe themselves in good fruit to glorify him. See, those, those works that he has prepared for us, it's, it's our duty to surrender to his lordship over our lives and allow him to take us where he will. That's the message of the New Testament. Romans 12, 1-2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Find the path that God's laid out for your life and walk in it for his glory. The fact is, a legitimate faith will always manifest itself in good works. If works are missing, is saving faith missing? I don't know. That's not for me to judge. I'm just reading his word. God's got something for you to do every day of your life. If I come across an atheist in my life, my job is to try to make him curious about Christ. If I come across somebody who is curious about Christ, it is my job to see if I can push him to that cross. And if he's a believer in Christ, how can I help him walk through spiritual maturity from a child in the faith to a mother and father of the faith? As we wrap up, Martin Luther, who made himself an apostle and champion of faith alone, wrote the following. Faith is a living, busy, active, powerful thing. It is impossible for it not to do us good continually. 
It never asks whether good works are to be done, but has done them before there is time to ask the question. and is always doing them. A faith that reveals itself through works that are righteous when God, through his grace, saves a sinner from deadness, deception, and depravity, and the doom of sins. He doesn't save that person to live as they please. He brings them out of death so they can live a new life in Christ. He brings them out of deception so they can know the truth. He brings them out of depravity so they can walk in righteousness. He saves them from their doom so they can enjoy the blessings of his salvation. God does not save us so that we can live for ourselves. He saves us so we can live for him. He saves us so we can walk in the newness of life. He saves us so that he can use us for his glory in this world. He saves us to put us to work for him in bringing a lost world to Jesus Christ. He says, go to all the world, preach me. As we got close here, i got to ask you a couple questions, church. Have you been saved and changed by God's grace? If not, you need to come to Jesus today. That's why he's got you here. Um, after the service, come find me. Um, come find one of the other elders. We'd love to pray with you. He's got you here. He's speaking to your heart right now. If you'll come to him, he will save your soul. I guarantee it. Is your life marked not by perfection, but by change? Has there, have, is there change that glorify God. If it is, we should thank him for that right away. Um, if it's not, then you should come to Jesus today. Are you doing everything God's called you to do? And if not, let me invite you to fully surrender to his will and allow him to take the reins of your life. Church, are you grateful for him and his work of grace in your life? If you are, call out to him today and thank him. Thank him for his life-changing work that he's done in your life. Listen to his voice and obey his call. The moment, my testimony a little bit, I ended up in a church. I was not going to church at all. My mom begged me to go to church one Sunday. Fine. I will go to church. Just for you, Ma. It'll stop that nagging. Sat there, I opened the Bible. First of all, I couldn't believe how much these people sang. It's all these people did was sing songs. I end up on a worship ministry, right? God's got a humor. Um, and I read Psalm 51, David's confession before God that he was a sinner, and that he sinned only against God. I said, man, that's, I thought I was a good guy. And in there, David brings to God just this, contrite heart. He's broken. He says, that's all I have to give you, God. Can you fix me? And God does. David says, you do that, I'll teach other your ways. Funny, I'm up here teaching now. Um, didn't know what was about to happen, but as I walked out of that church, the pastor caught me and said, where are you at? So it was the same words that God said to Adam. Adam, where are you at? God knew where Adam was at. My goodness, you can't hide from God in the garden that he created. He knew exactly where he was. It was that moment that pastor asked me, that was God talking to me. And it wasn't a God that I prayed to. See, I prayed to God before I, before I knew him. I prayed that cop didn't just radar me. If he did, man, I'm getting a ticket. Those were my prayers. That moment, I knew that God knew my name. He knew everything about me. 
couldn't hide from him anymore. And he touched me. That moment, the creator of the universe knew who Scott was. Are you listening for his voice? See, God's preparing you right now for something tomorrow. God is preparing this church. He's been preparing this church for something five years from now. We don't know what it is. God is in the constantly preparing us. We are his masterpiece. He is working on us continually. He is constantly painting, chipping away stone. Make, you know what? He's putting us, through, putting us up on the hill and letting the wind blow us to make us a fine piece of wood, right? Do you have any idea how many good works God has prepared for you? They're waiting for you to enter in as you walk by faith, trust and depend on Jesus. The situations are there and ready. Just this is what God's called you to do, church. So you become a vivid display of his greatness. He wants to show you to a lost world. You've been given a gift if you have no talents, you don't have anything that you can do that you could, you know what? You have Christ in you. You have something to share. Every one of you. Share it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have prepared beforehand these good things for us to do and walk in. Father, our prayer is that you grant us that ability to see these opportunities, that you, through your Holy Spirit, give us the courage and the ability to take full advantage of them, to use your strength, not ours. So, Father, before we leave our home and go to work and go to school or wherever it is, as we go try to figure out how we look, can we just think and stop for a minute think about your plan on how you're going to use us to display your greatness to a world that day? Can that be our prayer, church, that we want God to use us every day. We ask this in your name, Father. Amen. It's like a question for you. Where are you at? It's not me asking it. God wants to know where you're at. If God spoke to you in any way today and you need prayer and you, you, you want to ask a question, you want to, you want to whatever, find me after this service, I would love to pray with you. Pastor Steve would love to pray with you. God's asked me to move across the United States. I said, yes, I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me, please. Church, I will miss you. Um, I thank every one of you for your prayers. You have helped groom me for what God has planned next in my life. Um, some of you have spoken into my life. Some of you I haven't even met yet. God is great. And he's moving. And he needs to use you. In that world, out there, his command was to go to that world, not to sit here in a church. Amen?